I love superhero stories. I am a sucker for any superhero story. It doesn't matter how badly produced the show or movie is. I love the stories. And what I'm particularly fascinated with is the stories that have all been coming out lately about superheroes that discover uh, that while they're showing them while they're young and they're showing them as they're discovering that they are a superhero, discovering their powers. And, uh, and so we've started uh, sharing with you in a creative way about what the Bible calls spiritual gifts because I think there's a, a kind of a parallel here between uh, Christians because when uh, Christ comes into someone's life and brings eternal life, the greatest gift, he also brings with them a gift or gifts to believers. And so in this, uh, for Christians, there is a discovery process for us in discovering what God has given us and how we've been gifted. But here's, here's one of the things. As we've introduced this whole idea, I've kind of been wondering uh, over the week if some of you have been feeling a bit embarrassed because you've been following Christ for a while, but you haven't discovered your spiritual gift. And I want you to know that you don't have to be embarrassed or feel bad because more than likely, it probably isn't your fault um, because most churches have been horrible about sharing what the Bible says about spiritual gifts. And some of you have never even been told there's such a thing as gifts to Christ followers. And my mother-in-law just recently shared with me that she didn't hear about spiritual gifts until she was 30 years old and she had grown up going to church since she was a little girl. So just relax. We're all learning together. We're all fellow students of Jesus. And nobody is an expert except for Jesus. Okay? So relax. It's all right. Last week, we, we talked about the similarity with Christ followers and their connection with our fictional superheroes. And mainly that the idea that we've both been given powers that are there for us to discover. And I shared with you that, that uh, for Christ followers, these special God-given abilities are supernatural. They aren't like, like natural abilities. They're supernatural given at second birth when Christ comes in and renews your heart and makes it alive. And they're unlike natural abilities, which are physically, you're, you're physically born with. Or you might have a skill that you learn as you grow. And the other thing about this that we learned and talked last week is that we don't choose our gifts, but they're chosen for us by God. Given to us just like the gift of grace. Undeserved, unmerited, in no way earned by us. But God has left us the whole exciting process of discovering the gift He has endowed along with the wonderful and greatest gift of eternal life. The list of biblical gifts that we, we showed you last week are found in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. And we, we talked briefly just about the purpose that's mentioned in 1 Peter 4.10, saying that God has given us these gifts so we can administer God's grace. I believe that's within the body and outside the body too. So, just remember, it's the 12s and it's the 4s, if you want to remember where these lists are, okay? Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, there's a list, Ephesians 4, there's a list of gifts, and then 1 Peter 4, 10, 4, tells you one of the purposes, the main purposes for our gifts. So sometimes a gift may be dormant in a Christ, in a Christ follower, or as we've been calling, a, a super, we're comparing ourselves to superheroes here. So, and we may be unaware and the gift may be inactive. But the Lord has asked us as His followers to use our gifts to help administer God's grace to each other in the body and as ambassadors outside the body of Christ. God desires His people to be active in their gifts so that we might accomplish His mission in power by His Spirit, not by our own strength. It's by His power. 
Okay? And this is where lies some of the difficulties with supers and spiritual gifts. It's the use of power. See, any power is tricky. You know, take electricity, for example. I mean, electricity is very powerful and it's very useful to us when we use it within certain parameters. But if we use it outside those parameters, electricity becomes very dangerous. Like when we try to use electricity when we're standing in a pool of water. That is not smart. It can endanger our lives. It can destroy us. The same way with any other power. In the stories of superheroes, there are characters that oppose our favorite heroes. And these foes are called villains. And usually the villains also have amazing powers and abilities, just like the supers do. So the question is, what is the difference between a super and a villain if they both have these amazing abilities? Usually the difference is how the gifted person uses their power. That's the difference in the fictional world. Here's, here's a superhero versus villain example. In my favorite show, Smallville, you have a young Lex Luthor who's being raised by a, a wealthy, wicked, billionaire father. And his father teaches young Lex, he teaches him that he should use his wealth and his power to find new technologies and then exploit those technologies to gain even more wealth and power for himself. But then on the other side of town, on Smallville, you got another young man uh, named Clark Kent. And he's being raised by a father who teaches him that he needs to use his gifts to help others. He has these superhuman powers and abilities, which he's been trained by his father, a father with integrity, to use his gifts to help people and not flaunt them or flaunt his power, but to keep it in check. So two opposites, again, two people with great power, but using them in different ways. One, the villain for himself. One, the super for others. So let's flip this little superhero story to the reality of the life as a Christ follower. What happens when you're gifted by God, but don't keep your gift in check, aligned with the Heavenly Father's desires? I saw some examples of this back in the 80s when I was growing up. Uh, TV evangelist. I just have to say that word, and everybody's mind goes, whoo, yeah. Some men and women who are definitely gifted by God, but exploiting their gifts for themselves. And we know some of their stories. Some of them wound up in prison for doing that. Now, some of you might be saying, well, Shannon, you know, that's, that's the extremes. I mean, I don't think any of us, you know, would do anything like that right here in everyday Asheville. Really. I'm not so sure about that. You know, I've seen people with the gift of teaching use it just to get their jollies from everyone focusing on them instead of focusing on the Lord. I've seen people with the gift of leadership manipulate people to get the outcomes that they desired, which kept difficulty far from the leader, but put all the followers in dire straits. I've seen people with the gift of prophecy. And let me just say this, that, that I really think that prophecy um, is rarely used for telling what is going to happen in future events. That usually prophecy is someone telling God's truth at the right time and the right place to the right people. That's usually how we see it used. Although it's not to exclude telling what God may 
reveal what might happen in the future. But I've seen people use the gift of prophecy. I've seen them use this and, and turn timeless truth into cheap cliches, pushing people down so they can lift themselves up and feel all right about their own sin. I've seen that happen with people with the gift of prophecy. I've seen people with the gift of administration use their power to build themselves a church kingdom corporation instead of building up the kingdom of God. Ladies and gentlemen, it is tempting for every one of us to use our gifts for ourselves. It's tempting for all of us. It's easy to become a villain. It's an easy path. Just live a selfish life. Just think about yourself. That's an easy road. The Apostle Paul wrote and warned against this danger of becoming a villain. And you can find this right after the list of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. He warns the believers about the path of the villain. At the same time, gives us hope in the path of a hero. He says this, And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. All right. The Bible doesn't use the word villain, but instead says you're a noisy gong or you're a big nothing. That's what it says if you use your gifts on yourself without love. So how do we avoid the path of the villain and not become a big gong or a big nothing? We need to follow the path of the hero. The most excellent way, as Paul calls it, love. Did you know love is a fruit of the Spirit? You find a, a different list, not a lift, list of gifts, but you find a list of fruit in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. And it's a list of the fruit of the Spirit. And again, this is something, when the Lord comes into your life, when you receive Him as Lord and Savior of life, and He's inside you, there, this fruit is available to you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And like the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is available to you, but it can also lay dormant and unused. But the fruit of the Spirit is very different than the gifts of the Spirit. You know, when a woman bears a child, it's nine months. And, and I don't know from personal experience, but my wife tells me it's not an easy thing to do. And there comes a time at the end of those nine months when that baby's coming out whether you like it or not. And it's going to take some effort for that baby to come out into the world. For fruit to grow. You know the word that we use is bear fruit. Like you bear a child. Fruit takes some effort. It has to be cultivated. It takes time to help it mature. A gift, many times, once discovered, usually doesn't take a whole lot of effort on our part because it's something that is given. It's not grown. And it's based in God's power, not in our own power, our own strength. God has given us the fruit of, the, of His Spirit to help keep in check the power that He gives in the gifts. 
Like the Apostle Paul explained, if you have a powerful gift but do not have the fruit, you will just be a noisy gong or a big nothing. On the other hand, you can have the fruit of the Spirit without the use of a powerful gift. And you can remain an effective person in the kingdom of God. Because you can love without a gift or knowing what your gift is. You can walk in the path of the most excellent way. I love saying that because back in the 80s when I was a kid, you know, there was that Bill and Ted's deal and, and everyone said, excellent, dude, most excellent. That was one of the things we always said. So I love Paul when he says the most excellent way. That's what we're talking about here. And you can do that without knowing what your gift is. But what God has designed for us is to have gifts and fruit and balance, like Sue was talking about, so that we can walk in the path of a hero, powerfully effective for the kingdom of God without destroying ourselves. When God was preparing His people to bring His Son into the world, He set up His priests among the Jewish people. With a, they, and they, He had them wear symbolic clothing and accessories. For instance, he, he, and, and God Himself gave the directions for what they were supposed to wear. For instance, the high priest, he wore this chest piece and it was this giant piece of jewelry that he wore around his neck and it had some straps that went around his back. And on this chest piece of jewelry, there were 12 jewels or precious stones that were on it. Each of the 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, God instructed that, um, that the symbols were to remain upon the priest's heart. Meaning that the people of Israel were to be on his heart when he went and re he represented them before God when he made the sacrifice. So God instructed something else that's kind of symbolic. And a lot of these symbols had hidden meaning in them for later when Christ was revealed. And it's interesting because we see some of the symbols that, that make perfect sense to us uh, as Christ followers when we look back at this Jewish heritage of the Christian faith. God, uh, one of the things, one of these symbols related to what we're talking about was found around the hem of the high priest's robe. God instructed that at the hem of the high priest's robe there were to be small bells attached to the, to the hem of the robe along with pomegranates. Pomegranates. Let's see if I can say that word. It's a, a, a weird little fruit. It has a tough reddish rind. And uh, there were to be at the, I mean, it's a strange thing to put on the hem of your robe, but it wasn't a real fruit. They, they made it out of yarn. They made it to look like the fruit. And they made it out of blue and scarlet and purple yarn. And, uh, but here's the thought that some Messianic Jews uh, share with us. And a Messianic Jew is simply a, a Jewish person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. He has looked at the prophecies that were found in the Old Testament and says, yeah, Jesus is the one. He's the coming Messiah. So that's what we say when we say Messianic Jew. Uh, but here's what they've shared with us. Uh, and when I say us, I'm meaning those of us who are not Jewish people. Uh, they've shared with us that if the priest had bells, all bells around his hymn and no fruit, he would just be this noisy guy wherever he went, kind of a clanging cymbal. But if he had all fruit around the hymn and no bells, then his presence would be unheard. And I guess this was the main instruction of why God told him to do this around the hem of the robe was that he would be heard when he went into the presence of the Lord. But God instructed for the garment to have bells and fruit alternating around the hem of the robe so that they were balanced all the way around the hem. In the same sense, we need to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives to balance our gifts 
or we will just be a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, can you see how some of these things, if they were active in your life, that they would keep power in check? Something like self-control, something like gentleness, or patience, or kindness. Those are things that would keep power in check. Is bearing fruit in your life always an easy thing? No, it's not. Is it easy to grow patience or kindness in your life? Usually not. Is it easy to grow faithfulness and self-control in your life? No, usually not. Fruit takes time and gifts may not take time. Some of you have been discouraged because you're not sure of your gift yet. You, you, ever, you wonder if God... Well, here's, I guess here's a thought. Maybe, maybe you haven't discovered your gift because maybe, maybe God hasn't orchestrated events for you to discover it because maybe He's trying to protect you. Maybe. Here's what I mean by this. I, I gave a, a gift to my son recently. And this gift is a, uh, a powerful tool. It's, uh, it's a compound bow. And uh, even a year ago, he probably wouldn't have been strong enough to even pull this and draw the bow back. It's, it's pretty tough for even for me. But in pulling this uh, back, he, had, to, he had, to be a, had a certain maturity physically to be able to use this bow. He also had to have some other maturity in some other areas. Uh, I didn't know that he had self-control to know how to use this and not to injure himself or injure other people around him. That would be a very important thing because, again, it's not a toy. And when I saw that Isaac had reached a certain level of maturity, I gave him this gift. And then he went through this uh, training, safety training, and, and then uh, he began practicing and using the gift so he could become skilled at it. But do you ever wonder if God is maybe waiting for you and waiting for some sort of fruit to mature in your life before he gives you or makes you aware of the gift that he's given you? He might be. He might be doing that. So if you want to discover your gift and you want to be able to use it without turning into a villain, then you're going to have to follow the most excellent way. That begins with love, the fruit from which all other fruit descends from. You know, if you look at the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, you'll see some things that are listed in there that sound like other fruit of the Spirit. Love is kind of the captain of the fruit, kind of the leader of the fruit. And the most excellent way is not a path you follow for just a few days or just for a season of your life. It's something that we're told to do for our whole life as Christ followers. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. What does living a whole life of love look like? We'll just take 1 Corinthians 13, that definition of love, and multiply it out over a lifetime. You know, I wrote this out in the cover of my Bible right before I got married about 17 years ago. And here's, here's what I wrote in writing out this definition of what a life of love would look like. I want to live a life of patience 
to live a life of kindness, to live a whole life of selflessness, to live a life of humbleness, to live a whole life of forgetting wrongs, to live a life of rejoicing in truth, to live a whole life of protecting others, to live a whole life of trust, to live a life of hope, to live a life of never giving up. And because at the end of the definition of love at 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love never fails, I wrote this. If I live a life like this, God will never let me fail. This is living a life of love. This is the most excellent way. This is the path of a hero. This is the path that Christ is calling us to. You want to discover your gifts and use them in balance for the kingdom? Then this is the path, the most excellent way you need to take. The path of the villain takes an opposite direction. Just seek for yourself. Just serve yourself. Just seek the power instead of seeking the giver of gifts and you'll end up destroying yourself. There is no balance to the power, no fruit, and you become a noisy gong, just a big nothing. So you've got to get on the path of the most excellent way. You've got to for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of your own soul. But guess what? Guess what? There's somebody, there's somebody who's made it a little more easy for us to go down this path of the hero, the most excellent way. You see, we have a superhero who has already blazed the path for us. And I think you know his name. He's Jesus. He's the greatest super. And he has marked out the most excellent way for us. And we need, all we need to do is look to him, seek him, and follow him. You see, the path to discovering your gifts is not an alternate path or a side trail. There's just one path in the footsteps of Jesus. That's who we're following. Seek Him. Seek Him. Follow His path. And the discovery of your gifts will follow. They will. They will. It's not always an easy path, but your name Christian, which means little Christ or Christ follower, indicates your mission. You follow Him. Follow Jesus no matter what. Following the steps of Jesus isn't a safe adventure. It can be quite dangerous. You know, it's certainly a path of loving God and loving other people. But to do that, it'll also be a life of sacrifice to be able to love God and love people. Jesus, when he was tempted by the enemy in Matthew chapter 4, he was tempted to use his power for himself. Jesus said no to him three times. He said that his power was instead to be used for the kingdom of God and for the glory of his Father. He asked us to do the same. Jesus walked a path to the cross, and he asked us to take up our cross daily. Daily. And what that means is that we need to die to ourselves. We need to put aside our own desires and wants, and instead live for him daily. When we die like that, then we can really live. We'll truly live. A life lived by his Spirit. It's not easy living, but it's not burdensome either. It's not burdensome. Jesus said that His yoke, meaning His teaching and His way of life, was light and simple. Light and simple. You know, what we need to do is we just need to submit our wants to Him and put His desires first, keeping us from the danger of becoming villains. And it keeps us 
from the path keeps us going on the path of the hero. That's where we need to go.